in this episode of Collective Reject. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about body styles. We need to know how many how much spoilers do you want to do on this book? Uh, it's tough because there's right? there's some interesting twists in here. And body um, talk's going to bring us into one of those t- conversations. Whether you a hero or a villain, expedition leads to crazy villains. Every page I turn, you know I got a villain. New stories everywhere, busting out the comic strip. Story so good, it got me on a power trip. Crazy battles got my mind in a total race. Page one, the original story takes place. So gear up for the new storyline. Writing so good, it sends chills down your spine. Collect or reject. 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 Greetings, true believers. Welcome to Collect or Reject, a show about comics, or more specifically, lesser-known comics. My name is Mark Withers, and I'm honored and privileged to be your host today. Here's how it works. Each week, a guest and I will read five issues of a pre-selected title, and based on those five issues, we'll try and determine whether or not that comic should be added to your poll list. Today's comic is Scout's Honor by David Pipos and Luca Casalanguida. Joining me to talk about it is the author of the three-book series National City Stories, as well as an avid comic book reader in his own right. And before you ask, no, we're not related. Ladies and gentlemen, John M. Withers IV. John, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So let's just get into this right off the bat, because, you know, when I first encountered you on Facebook, your name kind of struck me because my dad's name, may he rest in peace, his name was also John Withers. So when yep. I saw your name, I was like, whoa. <laughs> but you it's were a telling very me, common name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were saying it was a really common name, especially like where you're from. Like you're from Iron Station, right? In North Outside Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Right. And my dad is from Davidson. So like that is like super close. And we kind of mentioned that off mic, but like you said, yeah, like super common name, but still like seeing and your a small name. world too. That's what, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. So yeah, so getting into uh, the comic itself, before we even do any of that, I kind of wanted the audience to get a little bit of a feel for who you are and what you do. So if you could- It's my first time on the show, yeah. Right on. So if you could just give us a little bit of background about who you are and how you got into comics specifically. You know, I'm the standard kid that in the late 80s, early 90s was looking at spinner racks um, that back when they were still in grocery stores, picking up one here, one there. My father had been really into comics as, as a child and not being able to hold on to any because um, it's the family trauma stories, right? He bought them, read them, and then hid them or got rid of them so his parents wouldn't find out. Um, so he gave me some kind of growing up. But in the late 80s, early 90s, I was in that middle school age. I was earning some money. I had a job already. And I was putting money into comics. Um, I was there for like the Marvel 2099 run was my big moment. Like it, it felt like a brand new universe in Marvel that we could jump into with new characters that were just right. Spider-Man in the future. But it felt new and fresh. I was really into it. So I was there at the, the birth of the image revolution and we were passing them all around in, in the middle school lunchroom, trading and um, reading things on school buses. You know, I, I went from there um, in college. I wound up picking up the issues from the early nineties that I couldn't buy because I you know, had limited budget and limited job. But yeah. I'm kind of like that kind of that generation of a reader. Yep. Absolutely. But more awesome. importantly, Mark, were you a boy scout? 
actually, it's funny that you that you ask because I was actually a Cub Scout. Even mm-hmm. I, you know, I did the entire run. I didn't quite make it to Eagle Scout, but I was a oh, Cub good. Scout. Nice. Uh, I went through Weeblos and then became a Boy Scout. Right. Uh, was a Tenderfoot. Did all those things, and then uh, somewhere along the way, like you know, as I got older and got more involved in high school, I kind of fell off of scouting. I never quite made it to Eagle Scout. How about yourself? I was a Cub Scout and we blow and I, I made the tenderfoot. The boys that I came up with were moving toward the Eagle Scouts. I just stalled out at tenderfoot. Um, I wanted the education. I wanted the fun and the experiences. I didn't care about the advancement tests. Um, so I could have went a little further than Eagle Scout. But by high school, I got into high school marching bands and other kind of pieces. And so I never finished up. But I had a really good scouting experience. Um, and now I'm kind of privilege because my daughter is a Cub Scout. She's a Weeblo um, moving through to her era of life this year and is looking toward being a Scout or a Boy Scout next year if it all works out. There's a little bit going on scouting right now. We've not been keeping up. Um, it's kind of a little uncertain, but hopefully she'll right. be a Scout next year. I'm really liking that experience for her too. So yeah, I think the comic book pedigree is important here, but I also think our scouting plays a big role in how we're going to read this book today. So Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I definitely want to jump into it because it's a super interesting title to me and the premise is fantastic. But before that, I kind of wanted you to also tell us a little bit about National City Stories and some of the some of the other uh, titles that you've written. I will always plug myself. Um, So I've been a writer forever. In high school, I was writing, you know, bad high school prose like we do. I had a buddy that was drawing and he was trying to do a comic book with me and it just never went anywhere. I put writing aside for the college courses and the college homework for a while. Um, when I flunked out or dropped out of the PhD program, it was just, you know, finances and life. Intelligence was there, life was not. Um, I threw myself completely into writing fiction because I wanted to prove that I could write something at dissertation length. And so I wrote what is now going to be a six book series, um, national, no, not National City Stories, but the original one, The Goblin's Gift and then The Castle's Imagination. As interactive fiction, and it's linked cycle interactive fiction. So it's like the choose your own adventure books or the pick a pass you might have bumped into as a kid, but the choices matter from one book to the next inside of a series. I went to comic book conventions and were selling that pretty well pre pandemic, but a lot of people were looking at the you know, few fantasy books I had asking, you know, where's the horror, where's the science fiction, where's everything else? And so I, uh, during the pandemic, I really diversified romance, horror, all of it's coming. There's a a wide variety of things that I've written, but all of it is coming. I'm going to write in all the genres. National City, I sent over to you um, particularly because it's got a manga chapter in each zine. It's like a little magazine length, um, small digest with a, a short story that's interactive. That it, The short story is set on a luchador island. It's like an island ran by luchador wrestlers. And right. then the backup story there in every issue is a manga about a Detroit police officer with a sword that's also an art park. And eventually, if I can go far enough, those two stories collide and you wind up having a aardvark wrestling some luchadors and having a good old time. So yeah, I've got a little bit of experience in the writing side of things. I can't draw to save my life, but I've written a few things, including some manga, <laughs> some comics. Awesome. And what I've read so far is great, man. So Thank you. It's with- unique at least. It's yeah, kind of an absolutely. Odd flavor. I didn't want to write the same fantasy story every time, and so I've done some unique pieces in the interactive space with you know frame tales and different ways to form the mechanics. Just trying to find some new ways to tell old stories, as absolutely. we all always are. So, without further ado, let's just jump right into the story here. Scouts' honor. 
I'll just say right off the bat that I'm completely enamored with the premise of this thing. I'm I terrible. Like it. I'm just not sure I do. So I'm glad one of us does. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. So I liken this to um, there's an old Kevin Costner film that came out a while back called The Postman, which most right. people don't like, but I actually like that film. I like at least the premise. And yep. this kind of reminds me of that. Now, I've said many times on this show and other episodes that I'm not a great explainer of synopses. So mm-hmm. I tend to let other resources do that for me. And in this case, I took a description from comic book resources. So I'm going to read that yeah. for the purposes of this episode. Years after a nuclear apocalypse, a new society has risen from the ashes, and their Bible is an old Ranger Scout manual. A young Ranger Scout named Kit has endured the harsh survivalist upbringing needed to conquer the irradiated Colorado Badlands. But after discovering a terrible secret once lost to history, Kit must risk everything on a dangerous quest to uncover the truth behind the Ranger Scout's doctrine. Now, I think that's a pretty apt description of kind of what's going on here. I would want to throw I, in that the radiation kept people off the surface of the planet for 26 years. I mean, yeah. the very first pages, they're kind of reemerging to try to rebuild society. And they've been um, gone for 9,562 days, which is roughly 25, 26 years. Right. And then Kit, our main um, protagonist, our main person here is what, 16 years old, 15. Yes. So the Ranger Scouts that we see trying to become Ranger Scouts kind of in that formative moment have never lived above ground until they're thrown into the wasteland. They don't know any society except for whatever indoctrination society has given them in the underground. And then the last few years trying to like re-emerge in that very Kevin Costner Patriot water world kind of way, right? These aren't characters like we see in Mad Max. They're a member of the society before the fall. We're almost completely looking at characters that only know society as it is in their moment. But other than that, that's a a pretty good description, sure. Primal warrior Draco Azul is the story of a man who finds a giant robot from ancient Mayan times and uses it to fight giant monsters that are mysteriously appearing all over modern-day Mexico. It's a little bit of Godzilla, Power Rangers, and Pacific Rim, all set against the Mexican backdrop for a unique cultural flair. Guys, I've been lucky enough to read the first few issues of this, and so far, I gotta say, I'm loving it. If you're a fan of mecha, kaiju, tokusatsu, or just really cool action comics in general, this is gonna be right up your alley. You can find Primal Warrior Draco Azul on Amazon Kindle and Comixology. Get yours today. This is what I got from it. So, you know, we're talking about a group of people that, like you said, emerged 26 years after an apocalyptic event. But then the Ranger Scouts that we see kind of going through the trials like Kit and Dez and some of the other scouts, they're probably 15, 16 years old. So that's 15, 16 years after these people emerge. So we're talking maybe 40 years, an entire generation of people who have never known society as we know it, mm-hmm. their only point of reference towards the old world is this scouting manual, which they basically treat as a Bible, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see, having been a scout in right. my era in the 1980s, seeing them use the tenets of scouting as a complete way of life, where they're living and dying by these edicts that to us were like, 
I don't want to say that they're very small deals, but it's like if you didn't do your good deed for the day, it wasn't <laughs> like a big deal. But to them, it's a sin if you don't. You remember the um, Boys Life magazines? I do remember those. <laughs> and the Boys Life magazines, the scouts they featured always reminded me of the scouts that they're writing about in this comic, right? It was always like the Uber scout, like the perfect scout that did their three good deeds a day, live by the handbook, you know, could be survivalist, very bears, gorillas kind of eight-year-olds were always being featured in that magazine. And so that's kind of my, my touching point for this. I'm glad we were both scouts and we kind of grew up with some understanding of this vocabulary they keep throwing around. Because those scout laws that they're talking about are absolutely taken from scouting. There's just no way around it. That's the Boy Scouts of America are the foundational piece to understanding Ranger Scouts. So Right. And that was something that I really enjoyed about the comic. I also like the little um, side references, right? For example, there's a drone that Kit's father sort of reprograms, and then he names that drone Weeblo. So for people at home who are not familiar with scouting at all, the Weeblos were, and probably still are, um, sort of like the middle point between a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout. Like Mm -hmm. you kind of go through that section as like a preteen. Yeah, kind of late elementary school, early middle school is kind of that, that age gap there. Exactly. You know, so it was interesting to have that name in there as a reference. Also, there's a giant spider that Kit names Tenderfoot. And right. a Tenderfoot is like, that's your first, um, that that's sort of your entry point as a Boy Scout. You start out as a Tenderfoot. It's and the name of the rank, Amer- right. Exactly. The, that, yeah, that's that's what I was kind of getting at. I was, thank you for that. I couldn't remember what I was trying to say. But yes, that is your first rank as a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to have. And it comes at a moment when Kit's trying to prove something about themselves on their own, too which I think mm-hmm. is kind of nice and makes that tenderfoot reference really solid. I loved that one. The Weeblo name seemed like set dressing to me. It was kind of just slapped on to this drone. And the, I couldn't, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, this kind of R2D2 flying drone character. Why Weeblo for that one? Out of all the words on scouting, you know, why not Baloo or some other scout word? Why Weeblo there? Um, but tenderfoot absolutely thematically worked for me. The spider, right. sure. Yeah, that's and an riding giant spiders is always awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it looks like we may have like a difference of opinion in terms of story and plot, but Good. let's talk about the art a little bit. Now, yeah. um, Luca Casalanguida did the artwork here. Luca did what, all the, the line art, it looks like, and then Matt did the colors. Mm-hmm. Watch out what, both what, names out there. What were your thoughts overall? On the, you know, it's on a the nice artwork. style. I've seen this style on a lot of indie press kind of books before. This is the first time I read an Aftershock book, Aftershock being the publisher, that I knew was an Aftershock book. I think I was looking through their list and I've seen one or two of their titles and flipped through them and read the first two issues here or there. Um, this is the first time I've, I've read five issues from Aftershock. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the newer presses. I'm smaller than Boom Studios or some of the names you may, audience right. may know for the last 10 years. So yeah, nice artwork, good looking production values. Yeah, no complaints there. My only complaint here is that there was sort of a bit of inconsistency in the way the characters were drawn from issue to issue. That may have been intentional because- I think that's spo- a style because you know, a lot of the characters don't have faces at all. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times even our main characters don't have faces. While we're talking, I've got the last issue, like the last pages of the last issue up because I've got a point I want to make sure I don't forget on that last page. And it looks completely natural and the people in the, the far distance in that shot- um, have no faces, just kind of outlines. But even mm-hmm. our main characters have no faces. They're just sort of a chin and hair. Right. Um, it's just sort of a weird 
kind of thing. If you've been reading Marvel and DC books where all the face details are always there, but overall there's enough costuming, enough hair that you can tell who's who. Right. But even in the body styling, like, right. So like from, from how many issue spoilers issue, we want to give this book? I'm we're, sorry. We're going to talk about body styles. We need to know how many, how much spoilers do you want to do on this book? Uh, it's tough because there's, right. there's some interesting twists in here. And body um, talk's going to bring us into one of those t- conversations. Yeah, and I see where you're going with that. Maybe we steer clear. (laughs) Maybe we steer clear of it. From here, we should probably take a minute, talk about the dollar value of this book. Now, of course, it's only about 18 months old. came out in January of 2021. The cover price is about $3.99. And if you look today, the average cost really hasn't moved very much, probably about $4.99. With, uh, you know, like a 1A, like non-variant, I've seen them going for about eight bucks, nine bucks, not too much of a value hike, but of course there really hasn't been a whole lot of time. So the question that I would ask is, does this sway your verdict one way or the other, as far as whether or not this is a collectible? Does Aftershock do trades? I think that they probably have just started doing trades. You it's know, a fairly it, new company, I think. You know, right. kind of hit my, my horizon recently. Um, I think they're a fairly new company. I could be wrong. Um, right. If they're getting into the trade game, I think I'd pick it up as a trade. If mm-hmm. I could grab this thing for 15 bucks complete, read the entire story, which was clearly the way it was meant to be read, um, I would have been frustrated with this month by month, waiting on the next issue. Um, the reading experience to me works better in a chunk than it gotcha. did if I read it, waited a month or two months, hoping the next issue would come out, especially for small publishers. I'm often willing to jump on a trade because I don't get the entire story. You, know, you have one or two good issues, then the publisher goes under. I never get to read the rest of that story. It really annoys me. Um, yeah. I would definitely jump on this in trade. I bet it didn't sell that well. I don't know what selling well even means in the modern moment or the right. shop economy, right? Mm-hmm. But it probably didn't sell that well because you've got a lot of pieces working against it you know a newer author that's worked in various medias but not as many comics as you know true crime novels you've got uh, an artist luca casalago they do i'm butchering that last name i, I do too all the time. every studio <laughs> but never been a household name you know he's mm-hmm. done dc and boom and idw and marvel he's got a pretty nice resume but it's not a name people are going to buy the book for unless mm-hmm. there's real some luca heads out there that just spam us in the comments the entire team looks solid but it's not one's going to just make you pick this book up you know, so you, the cover images are selling it to you. Then you've got a store trying to decide, can they move this unit? And I'm betting they didn't order a lot of them. Right. Um, you know, a couple just kind of test the waters on Aftershock, test the waters on this title and this team. Um, but it's really hard to be a store and jump in on a new publisher and then convince your clients they're going to be here in a year. So right. you know, it gets easier as you go. But yeah, I think I'd definitely jump a trade of this. If I could find one 15 or less, I'd grab that. You know, trying to pick up individual issues for more than $15, no, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Now, of course, this came out sort of in the midst of the pandemic. And yeah, were stores I'm sure... open or not open? Could you, exactly. you know, browse the racks? It'd be a hard it, time to launch this title. So. Exactly. And then, of course, you know, also in the middle of the diamond uh, controversy, right. you know, with all of that happening, I'm sure that that worked against it. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that this comic, when it was sort of being ramped up, it actually got really, really good reviews, yeah. which is how it got on my radar. And it was yeah. one of those things that at the time I was like, oh, I should kind of take a look at this. But I was collecting so many titles at the time that I kind of just forgot about it. And I never, right. 
picked it up. And I'm sure that that is probably the case for a lot of would-be readers. I have a tendency to think that there's probably not going to be a big reason for people to revisit this unless they hear about it again, unless there's right. like a resurgence in interest. Like, for mm-hmm. example, if this ever gets optioned for an animated series. Or oh, they're definitely trying to be optioned. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Right now, this team is working to become Netflix's next TV show. I can guarantee it. I would imagine it's going to pop up on Amazon before we get a volume two. It looks like this team's doing a lot of things and it really feels like a Mark Millar kind of throw mm-hmm. a lot of ideas out there and see what you can get on Netflix. Yeah. Kind of, yep. kind of move. Um, yeah. You know, but the team may have a great hit with their next piece. Um, mm-hmm. And then that might make people come back and rediscover the trade or the, these issues and, and give it that value. But it's really going to take this team or some member of this team having a really solid next outing that catches fire to send people looking for this one. Unless we'll start talking about it. So I'm really glad it was on your list of things we could talk about for this episode. I'm glad we picked yeah. this one. You know, with that, I think that we could probably just jump right into our verdict here. So what say you on this one, collect or reject? I'm glad I read it. If it's not hanging around the house, that's fine too. This is one I would love to maybe show to one or two friends or kind of pass around a friend group. But if someone just kept it and it never came back, I'm fine with that. You know, it doesn't need to be in my long box forever. Got you. I think this is probably going to be a reject from me also. Oh, you're the one that liked it. <laughs> I liked it. But here's the thing. I enjoyed this, but I don't know that I would, at, you know, I usually say pull list. As far mm-hmm. as like, you know, whether or not I'm going to collect, right. but this is only five issues. It doesn't look like it's going to go any further than that. So Even we're talking the little afterward note from the author at the end of the fifth issue really sounds mm-hmm. like, thanks for reading. We'll never see each other again. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it really doesn't leave the door open for any new stories either. At the very end, it seems like it's just completely resolved. Like there's no where for it does it resolve really go. everything very neatly in the fifth issue and the, mm-hmm. the last few pages kind of that classic resolution i can see new stories adding to that world you know kit and desi and the, the, the surviving people i can see them having new stories but i don't know how they're different than walking dead exactly exactly you know it, it's and just post-apocalyptic like life at that point where it's now a farm novel or something Um, I'm sure there's a neighboring town that we haven't met yet that has a different philosophy and there's conflict and war and all kinds of possibilities out there. I doubt they'll ever do it unless Netflix wants them to. Right. I just don't see this really going anywhere as much as I like the story. And I really like the premise of it. Like I said, you know, I'm kind of on your thing of just grabbing this as a Mm -hmm. trade. If that, there's a great number of comics that can be read online, but still you would collect them. I don't think this is one of those. I think that this is one where you could just like read this on a Kindle or a comiXology or something like that, you know, uh, and uh, you would get what you wanted out of it out of like one reading. So for me, that's going to be a reject. Absolutely. Um, I don't really collect for the investment part of it because I grew up in the 90s comic scene where everything was going to be worth a thousand dollars one day. And none <laughs> of it was, right? It's all in dollar bins and quarter right. bins. Um, so I don't really care that it's never going to be valuable. But if you're in a friend's house and they have this leg on their coffee table, you should grab it and stick it in your pocket and read it. Maybe take it back when you're done. Maybe not. They probably won't care, but I think it is a nice, enjoyable read. 
off mic a little bit ago, we were talking about how it's just not a cape book. It's not a superhero book. Right. But I think that if you have friends and family around you that might enjoy comics, but are done with superhero movies and superheroes and pop media, that's probably where the value in this lies is grab this and give that to a reader that you want to get into comics, but are done with superheroes. Let's make a good gift. Absolutely. And we're going to go ahead and leave it there. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank my guest, John M. Withers, the fourth for being here today. Before you go, please tell our audience where they can find you. You know, John M. Withers the Fourth comes up on Amazon and links to a lot of great interactive fiction books. Um, I'm also around on Twitter and Facebook under that same name, John M. Withers the Fourth, for that author page. So I can be found if people want to come looking for me. I'm out there on the socials. And of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. If you like what you heard here today, please rate and review this episode. Until next time, this is Mark Withers. Catch you on the next page. Collector Reject is a production of Press Play Media in association with Von Keith Sounds. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Withers. Music by Keith Sewell. Scout's Honor was created by David Pipos and Luca Casalanguida for Aftershock Comics. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at collectorreject.com.